This is episode 184, featuring a behind-the-scenes coaching call with Brian, a 48-year-old marathoner who's hoping to improve his 8-year-old 259 marathon best. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to is a coaching call between me and a member of Team Strength Running, our group coaching program. Brian is a marathoner with a 259 PR from back in 2013. He's run more than 25 marathons, but he hasn't improved on his PR in more than seven years. In this conversation, we'll talk about how he can engineer a massive performance breakthrough in his next attempt at the marathon. But before we start, I want to make sure we're all running for the same team. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry, coaches, performance psychologists, elite athletes, registered dietitians, authors, and physical therapists. Our goal is to give you the knowledge, the mindsets, and the tools to elevate your running performances. Because when you better understand the process of improvement, When you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a wiser and more productive athlete. By the way, if you haven't yet, go to YouTube and join our community there. The Strength Running YouTube channel has more than 40,000 subscribers and hundreds of videos on weightlifting for runners, injury prevention, how to run with better form, and a lot more. Search us on YouTube, subscribe, and you'll see every video we publish on a weekly basis. And of course, if you've never visited our website, this is where it all began, strengthrunning.com. Since 2010, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. This episode was made possible by Exoskin, a brand of high-tech apparel for runners that I actually wore today for my morning run. They make seamless running apparel right here in the US of A that uses a new knitting technology that works in all weather conditions. The long sleeve 2.0 shirt that I wore this morning was a great addition as a base layer when it was snowing and cold, but their gear actually performs just as well in hot conditions too. Check out all of what they offer at exoskin.us. Joining me on the show today is a member of Team Strength Running, our affordable group coaching program that makes getting a coach accessible for any runner. Brian is a marathoner with more than 25 races under his belt and a 259 personal best from 2013. But since then, he hasn't improved on this time. So we're going to talk about Brian's history with the sport and with injuries, his typical marathon preparation, his PRs and other events, and the opportunities he has to make his next marathon a PR. By the way, if you would like the opportunity to come on the podcast and talk about your training, join Team Strength Running. You'll get me as your coach, a team of your peers to cheer you on, and private members' resources like gear discounts, training plans, strength and core routines, and more. Go to strengthrunning.com join to learn more. If you're a runner who's ever experienced a performance plateau and you weren't sure how to break through, this episode will give you a lot of ideas, even if your goal isn't running the marathon. Without further delay, please welcome Brian to the podcast. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for making some time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. 
So this is exciting. We're helping you plan for a breakthrough in the marathon. It's something I think a lot of runners are really interested in. And I know that there are few things as fulfilling as a huge performance jump in such a difficult race as the marathon. So I'm excited about this. And maybe we could just start with some basics. Um, how old are you, Brian? So I'm 48 right now. 48 right now. That'll change. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so how long have you been running and training? So about 25 years. So my first ever race was the New York City Marathon in 1997. So I never ran in high school or college or any of that. And I figured well, not for a first race, go all the way and, and do a marathon. So. Awesome. Well, you really jumped in with a, a hard first race there. <laughs> but... Uh, how many marathons have you run since your first? So I'm up to 26 right now. So over 25. All right. so it's about one a year. Some years I've done zero and other years I've done two or three. So. Okay. And so when you look back on, you know, maybe the last five to 10 years, you know, more recent history with you, what kind of training have you been doing from a really high level? Maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, when you're getting ready for a marathon, what does your mileage typically look like per week? What does your long run progression look like? Uh, and are you doing any kind of faster workouts as you get ready for these marathons? Yeah, I think I have a pretty solid plan. I've been using the same plan for probably 15 years, which is, um, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you. Um, so, my mileage, I probably start out, you know, basic 16 week program, probably starting out at 30 to 40 miles a week, um, peaking at 80 miles a week um, toward the end of that program. Um, long run, I would get up to 24. Um, and I would try to do that once or twice, even if I could. I would try to do um, four of those miles toward the end of that 24 or around marathon pace. Um, the rest of the training would be, um, you know, several easy days during the week. Uh, I have a day where I'm doing um, hills or tempo work. And then I have a day where I was doing some more interval work on, on the track um, and that type of stuff. Well, that's pretty great. I mean, you're doing substantial mileage. You're doing substantial long runs. You know, it's not like you're taking 16 weeks to go from 10 to 18. And you're doing, if not one, two workouts a week. And, and that's a pretty pretty standard mix, I think. You know, you have your hills in tempo one day, you have your more, you know, track intervals on another day. What kind of interval work was that? Can you give us a picture of what we might expect to see you doing on a day like that? Are you working at like 10K race pace, 5K pace, something even faster than that? So it, I guess 800s were my main go-to and um, I would try to do my 800s in under three minutes, um, you know, track that. Um, under a three-hour marathon. So I'd probably do um, you know, 8 to 10, 800s in like average 257, 258. Um, when, I start, when I would start doing a little work, I would start up with 400s and try to do those in under 90 seconds and then go into 800s. But I didn't do any like 100s or 200s or um, K repeats or anything like that. I was mostly just focused on the 800s. And anything longer than that, I would try to run at marathon goal pace. 
Yeah. And, and that sounds like a workout very similar to Yasso 800s, where you try to do 10 800s at the, at the time that you would typically, you know, want to run your marathon and except instead of hours and minutes, it would be minutes and seconds. So three minutes as opposed to, you know, about uh, three hours. So, okay, you're doing, you're, I think you're doing a lot of great stuff for the marathon here. Uh, the mileage, the workouts, the long runs, they're all pretty advanced, I would say. You know, 80 miles a week is is a lot. Not a lot of folks are going to uh, be able to, to run mileage like that. Now, let's talk a little bit about other races. You know, I know your biggest goal is, you know, let's improve on your 259 marathon PR from t- back in 2013, but what kind of other races have you run? Have you been running shorter races and half marathons too along the way? Yeah, I've done probably, I mean, marathon I've done mostly. Um, I've probably done, I don't know, a dozen or so half marathons. And then I've done, I was a big Boulder Boulder guy every year, um, you know, doing the 10K up there. Um, and then I would do a bunch of local 5Ks and stuff. So I had some success in the 5K and 10K, you know, running pretty good speeds the last, the last few years. So right now, all my PRs um, from 5K to the marathon have all been since I turned 40. But they're all really in my early 40s. So now I'm trying to you know, get back there a little bit, you know, as I'm getting into my late 40s and, and approaching 50. So yeah, I think that's going to be uh, a big uh, way in which you get to your goal of running under that 259 PR of yours, because I think it's going to become more and more difficult to keep running a lot of marathons just because of the nature of the event, the recovery it takes. And the fact that, you know, when you run a marathon, you are putting all your eggs in one basket. You know, it's very rare that you can run a marathon. It doesn't go very well. And then, you know, you can just hop in another marathon three, four five weeks later. You can do that with a 5k, you could do it with a 10k, even a half, but it's just so much more difficult in the marathon. And you can almost get yourself in great shape to run a good marathon by running a lot of other races, uh, getting your times down to what I would call an equivalent performance of say a 257, 258. And then you're at a position where you're much more confident that you can go after that sub 259. So uh, what are what are your PRs in those distances, the 5K, the 10K and the half? So I know the most recent 5K I did was this fall, I think it was October, November, and I broke 19. So I think that was like a 1850 something. My 10K is probably low 39, um, but most recently was right around that 40 minute mark. And then half marathon, um, an hour and 25 minutes. And that was just two years ago. Well, almost three years ago now. Okay. That 85-minute half marathon from just a couple years ago is encouraging, I think, because typically what I tell folks is that if you want any chance of breaking three in the marathon, you've got to be running at least 85 minutes in the half marathon. And, you know, obviously the faster you can get your half down, the greater your chance of running even an even faster marathon is. So I think one of the avenues for you to potentially... Um, go and get this big goal of yours is is to actually maybe take a year away from the marathon and just get really fast first. 
let's let's work on getting your half marathon time down to 81 82 minutes you know let's try to break 39 minutes in the 10k and then running your you know your 5k i i think there's some good room for improvement there um because you can certainly you know if you're doing eight to ten 800s during marathon prep at about three minutes per 800 you should probably be able to run that pace for um a 5k a full 5k absolutely so i think there's a lot of potential here um and and that the next question really becomes you know what do you have to do in your training to get it done um but before we talk about that i'd love to talk about your last marathon when was that you said it was in the fall of 2019 is that right yeah it was new york city marathon 2019 Actually, I ran out of the 26 marathons I've done. I ran a 307, um, which was the third fastest I've actually ever done um, at the age of 47. So I was pretty encouraged after that. Um, I don't think that was necessarily the right course for me. Um, you know, a lot of hills. It was kind of a tough course. Um, but like most of my marathons, you know, I, I settle into that 650 pace, which is kind of ingrained in my head, and I kind of just see how long can I hold it. And most cases, except the one time when I was able to break three, um, you know, at some point, whether it's mile 12 or 16 or 18 or 20, I start fading off that pace. And that's kind of how that race went as well. Um, I probably made it to about 14 to 15. And then just, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I ran the whole thing. I didn't like, I wasn't doing nine minute miles toward the end. It just wasn't. At that 650 level, I was putting the same effort in, and now I'm doing 705 and 710. And then, you know, it gets more painful as you get into the 20s. And it was just kind of slow. Um, yeah, my speed just started slowing down a little bit. And 307 is still a good time, but, you know, it just wasn't what I was looking for that day. Yeah, for sure. And so that 307 was the last one that you ran back in 2019. Yeah, and I, w- I wanted to get back into it, but last year, you know, all the marathons were really canceled. So, um, you know, what you had said about focusing on other distances, I mean, part of me, I've kind of had to focus on some 5K stuff because those are most of the races that are, that are going on right now. But yeah, so that was the last um, marathon. And, I, and at that point, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have a next goal marathon. Um, I'm just kind of waiting to see what happened. And now I decided after a year, year and a half off, I guess, from a marathon that I was looking to get back into it. Um, I'm glad that you said, like, focus on other distances, because right now I'm kind of focused more on the half marathon, um, maybe in that June, July time frame. And then if I did do another marathon later this fall or, or, or even next year, so I'm focused right now, I guess, on, on that half marathon time. Okay, that's a great I think strategy to have for, for the next, you know, maybe year or so is, uh, you know, provided that you are doing some decent training, even though you weren't doing the racing, uh, over the last year or so during the pandemic, then, you know, you're probably in a good position right now, uh, to, to tackle a, a, a very good half marathon in a couple months, you know, hopefully the races will, will, will start picking up. And, and I think as we're vaccinating more and more people, that'll definitely be happening. Um, Talk to me a little bit about your training for the upcoming half marathon that you're working on right now. Are you running the same kind of mileage levels? And, you know, I, I'm sure you're not running 24 miles for your long run, but what are those long runs right now? So I'm actually using uh, one of your training programs, um, the high performance lifting um, 
marathon advanced program. So I want to say right now I'm in that 40 to 50 miles a week. Um, I haven't done a lot of speed yet. I think I'm on week six or seven of that program. Um, so the speed aspect has been mostly uh, tempo and more strength runs. Um, I am incorporating the weightlifting aspect, which I've never done before. Um, and I'm really hoping that is maybe the, the one thing. You know, I, I never felt like my training program was, was bad. I think it's a pretty solid program. Um, but I just couldn't see any improvement. So um, I think adding the weightlifting is really what I'm hoping will take me kind of to that next level. So about 40 to 50 miles a week, about called six weeks into like a 16 week um, half marathon plan. And my long run um, is right around 14 right now. I did do 20 this past weekend um, um, with a trail running buddy, and it was more of a slower pace. Um, that was my longest was 20, but at a slow pace. But 14 has been my longest kind of um, right my typical long, long run pace. Okay. And I just pulled up the advanced half marathon plan that's included in high performance lifting. And just to give my refresher for myself on, on what you're doing uh, pretty much on a day-to-day basis here. Yeah. I mean, I think looking here, uh, have you been pretty consistent when you're training for other shorter races, you know, half marathon and down are you doing uh, regular strides and other work that I would call, you know, more speed oriented, even though, even if it's not necessarily very hard, you know, for example, strides, they're not very difficult, uh, but they're a great way of adding a fair amount of speed work into the plan. So I know strides are good and I know um, we should be doing them. And I really have never done them before until I started on this plan. So now I have been doing them two to three days a week. It, it feels good. You know, even, you know, it's a quick pick me up but to, to run fast. It, it feels good. So that is something new that I have started to incorporate is, is strides at the end of my easy runs. And then also, you know, use your warm up routine as well, where before I would just go out of the house and just start running and my call just warm up on my first mile, you know, and I've had some injuries over the years, mostly muscle strains and that kind of stuff. So, um, warm up. I've been way better about warm ups, and then doing your also your um, ballista and IT rehab routines, which you know giving me some core and some mobility and that kind of stuff. I've kind of been really good about doing those um, while I'm on this plan too. So, you know, one of my biggest things is injury prevention as well. Not you know, as you get older, <laughs> you know, the muscle strains and that kind of stuff it, it, they come on a little bit easier. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to avoid. Uh, so, I, so I can do the training volume um, later than I know I'm going I'm to do. Yeah, for sure. That's going to be really important, especially now that, you know, you're, you're 48, you're looking at 50 a couple years down the, down the road. And I, I do think the warm-up process becomes a bit more important as you become a master's athlete and, and even beyond. So I think the warm-up uh, routine itself is going to be helpful just to help you feel better before the run uh, and to reduce your injury risk as well, especially if a lot of your injuries are, you know, muscle strains. Muscle strains, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you could get a muscle strain, but not being warmed up properly is, is you know, maybe one of the top three or five reasons. So I think a warm up is only going to help you, uh, especially 
as you get into, you know, some of the more challenging workouts that are going to come later in the half marathon training plan that you're following. Just because, you know, the more intense a workout usually is, then the more comprehensive your warm-up process has to be. Just, you know, the higher the peak you're going to go in terms of intensity, then, you know, the more the longer you have to take to really ease into that. So I think that's going to be helpful for you. Um, and so this is great because I kind of have your training plan <laughs> in front of me now that I know which one you're using. So uh, you are going to be doing a fair amount of quality long runs, which I think is great. Uh, doing some sort of faster running, some more quality work within your long runs. Uh, and this training plan has some faster finish long runs and also some fartlek training at the very end of the training cycle. So I think that's going to be great. And, you know, like I said, I think getting your other race distances down to the point where they indicate a sub three is possible is probably one of the fastest ways for you to accomplish this goal, as well as um, staying healthy. So you're not missing a lot of training time. And I think the other big issue that we should talk about too is fueling. Um, because, you know, especially with weight, the way you were talking about your goal marathon pace, you know, it's about 650, your brain remembers this pace, but sometimes, you know, mile 16, 18, 20, whatever it might be, you know, you, you start being unable to maintain that pace. Now, if it's happening early at mile 16 or 18, you know, I would say that maybe you, you went out too fast. So maybe your pacing was a little bit too aggressive for the fitness level that you had, but a lot of this can also be fueling. So Tell me a little bit about your fueling approach for marathons, whether or not you carb load beforehand. How do you think about, uh, you know, getting your carbohydrate levels up before a 26.2 mile race? Yeah, I mean, I think I do the typical, you know, a couple nights before bread and pasta and, and carbo load. And then, you know, the night before, um, you know, same thing. Maybe I don't usually eat as much the night before as I do the night before the night before. Um, just want to make sure I feel okay the next day. Um, the morning of the race, um, you know, I usually have a pretty good substantial breakfast, um, you know, two to three hours before, you know, bagel, peanut butter, banana, honey, that kind of thing. Um, and then I don't really eat much other than maybe 15 minutes before I'll have like maybe a singer waffle or something like that. And then I try to um, eat chews during the race every like 20 to 30 minutes um, to try to fuel, um, throughout the race. Um, and then, you know, use a sport drink as well, um, throughout the race. So that's kind of how I feel before and, and during the race. And I think I'm okay there. I don't know there's probably some room for improvement. I think with my, you know, telling off my pace, I think you might've hit it on the head when you said that maybe I wasn't necessarily training for the 650 pace. There's one thing to go into a, you know, a marathon start line. So I'm going to run a 650 pace until I can't anymore. And if you're not trained for that, I mean, eventually, no matter what you do, you're going to start to tell off. I think that's probably been part of my issue is I've had this, you know, three hour marathon. Like every time I go run a marathon, I got to do a 650 pace. And sometimes I probably just haven't been ready for that. Um, so I'd like to get to the point where I'm more comfortable at that 650 pace and maybe even more comfortable at a 640 pace to give me a little bit of a cushion. Um, cause it's not that much fun when you, you know, you're running a race and all of a sudden you're 20, 30 seconds off pace and it's hard to make it up, you know, once you start tailing off that pace. So, um, I'd like to get, 
650 thing out of my, I'd like to make it 644 or 640 or something other than the 650 pace where we're more comfortable at. So I just haven't gotten there yet. Yeah. And, and I completely agree with you. It's always good to give yourself a little bit of a buffer zone, you know, go into a race thinking that you can run 255, even though, you know, your real goal is sub three. Um, it does sound like you are carb loading pretty well before the marathon, you know, the old depletion carb load protocol, you know, we've learned that you don't really have to deplete yourself like that. There are risks involved with something like that. So you don't have to do that, but just making sure that you're eating more carbohydrate over, you know, the two to three days before the race, including some sort of carbohydrate at every meal and snack. Um, that, that, is typically enough. You know, I think it's seven to 10 grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight that you have. Uh, and, and it's pretty easy to get that if you're eating carbohydrate at every meal and, you know, maybe you're having some juice or a sports drink the day before the race. Now, when you're eating, uh, chews and a sports drink during the race, every 20 to 30 minutes, that is pretty much, I think, uh, the way to go. Um, the one thing that I would I would probably want to learn a little bit more about is, you know, what kind of sports drink you're drinking and how many chews that you're having, because there is a potential problem if if you're getting a lot of electrolytes, if there's a fair number of electrolytes in your sports drink and then also in your 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 actual fuel, then you could actually be pulling some water from your muscles and elsewhere in your body to process all those electrolytes. And so Sometimes it's better to do either the fuel with the electrolytes in them and water or just a sports drink that has, you know, enough carbohydrate in it plus electrolytes. So you're, you're not kind of doubling up on electrolytes. I don't know if that's the case with your racing and, and any problems that you might have had, but it's just something to be aware of and something that you can look into, you know, maybe just check the electrolyte composition of the chews and the drink that you're having so that you're just not, you know, getting an obscene number of electrolytes that you likely don't need. Uh, especially if, you know, you're not racing in July, you probably don't need too many. Sure. And I do try to water down the sport drink too. So it's not a full, it's kind of probably more half diluted, you know, so it's not, it's enough to give me a little kick, taste a little better than water and has, has some of the electrolytes and carbs, but, um, it's, it's, more watered down than I guess, you know, full blown. So. Okay. That's probably a good strategy too, just to give yourself, you know, a little bit more water and less electrolytes. Um, the other thing I would look at is the number of grams of carbohydrate that you're having per hour. Uh, I believe the kind of gold standard recommendation is about 50 to 60 grams of carbohydrate per hour. My hunch is that you're likely getting that or very close to that. But again, you can just check the the chews that you're you're eating and whatever sports drink you're having and kind of, you know, estimate, you know, if I'm having this once every 30 minutes, you can double up on it and figure out how many grams you're having per hour. But 50 to 60 grams per hour and you're racing a marathon is what I think the gold standard of fueling. That's going to give yourself the best possible chance of avoiding hitting that wall around mile 20. And not hitting that wall is kind of a combination of, you know, are you fueled up beforehand and fueling properly during the race? Are you running a pace that is appropriate for you? So no matter how much you're fueling, if you're going to try to run a 
210 marathon, Brian, you're going to hit the wall yeah. at some point <laughs> well Absolutely. before the finish line. And then uh, besides the pacing, besides the um, the fueling nature of things, it's also just, you know, the weather. There's a lot of other little things that, that could come up and, and bite you as you're trying to run that pace. So I think those are some big things to keep in mind. Uh, you can look into some of your fueling and hydration choices so that you can potentially optimize those. Um, but now let's talk about the next marathon. So what can we change in your training for the upcoming marathon that you haven't scheduled yet, but is undoubtedly sometime in the future where hopefully we can get you back under three. So if you do another 16 week training cycle, I wouldn't necessarily have you run substantially less than what you have in the past. You know, I think your body knows that mileage level, your body is comfortable. Uh, it doesn't sound like you have a substantial injury history where, you know, I might want to, you know, bring you back a little bit, especially for someone who hasn't been doing a ton of strength training. Uh, I really do think that, you know, the mileage is working for you. You're not a terribly injury prone runner. So let's keep doing it. Mileage is a good thing, especially for marathoners. Uh, the one thing I might tweak a little bit is you mentioned, you know, maybe starting at 30 to 40, building up to 80. I would love to see less variability in your mileage. So, you know, you're, you're essentially doubling, if not slightly more, your overall mileage from the beginning of the plan to the end of the plan. That's pretty dramatic in terms of uh, a mileage increase. And that does lead me to ask you, what are you doing in between marathon plans? Or in other words, if you're training for a half, uh, and we slightly talked about this, but you know, a 5k at some point in the past, when you're not training for a marathon, does your mileage go back down to 30 and 40? In other words, are you only running 70 to 80 miles for a couple weeks during a marathon cycle once, maybe twice a year? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The 70 to 80 is literally probably the last maybe three weeks of the, you know, before the race, not maybe five weeks out of the race is maybe where I'm peaking, you know, week five, week four before the race. So the 80 isn't a consistent thing. I might have one or two weeks like that. Um, I might have built up to a, a 70 and a 75 before that. Um, and then after a marathon, um, I still run probably five, six days a week. And I'll probably, um, you know, take a little bit of a break, maybe I'm in that 20 to 35 range. And I'm just going out and doing easy runs and not really paying that much attention to mileage. But even if I don't pay much attention, I'm probably still in that 30 to 40 range um, when I'm not really training. Um, and then for those other distances, I don't know if I've ever actually ever trained for a 5K or a 10K or a half marathon. It's always been part of my marathon training. <laughs> um, so, I've, you know, I've, I'll, I'll do a 5K early in my program or a 10K later and then a half marathon, um, maybe six to seven weeks out from my marathon to kind of see where I'm at. But I'm not sure I've ever... 25 years of running like trained specifically for a 5k a 10k or half marathon um, and maybe i'm doing a little bit of that right now using a half marathon training program um but this that would be the closest thing it's usually just all part of the, the marathon program yeah and so that so that tells me a couple things and, and i think this is good news that tells me that you haven't trained as hard for the other distances as you have for the marathon and that means there's likely more improvement in those other distances. 
which I think is the key to unlocking that sub three marathon. Because if you just keep running one or two marathons a year, you, you kind of might just find yourself in the same the same situation every time, the same training rut. You know, you're going to be doing the same things almost every time. And uh, you know, I, I think looking at your some of your past training, race performances, I really think that there's maybe five big things for you to to look at to work on as you think about your next marathon. Um, and mileage, I, I think is, is an interesting one because, you know, when you said, oh, I get up to 80 miles a week, I'm like, well, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't get you any faster by running more mileage because that's already, you know, you're going to have college athletes who are running that much. That's a lot of mileage. But what I might have you look at is not weekly mileage, but monthly mileage or even quarterly mileage, because quarter, now we're thinking very long-term, very big picture, and, and it's m- a much better measure of consistency than you know your weekly mileage. Because kind of weekly mileage says, you know, what are you as a runner capable of on a weekly basis? It's kind of like looking at one day. You know, A lot of runners are capable of going out on a 20-mile run once a while, but it's the runner that can keep up a more moderate amount of mileage day after day after day over an entire week, as opposed to just a single day, that is just getting much more of that aerobic stimulus. They're building more endurance. And you can take that principle and extend it to when you look at your monthly mileage instead. So I would maybe like look at your old training logs and kind of look at, okay, what is my monthly mileage PR? And and maybe try to have a couple months where you're very close to that. And it might be something where you might hit your old monthly mileage PR, but then you know, the month before and the month afterward, they're much lower because you're building up to it and then you need to recover from it. What I would love to see you do is get close to it. You don't necessarily have to run a monthly mileage PR, but just be pretty consistent month after month after month of being very close to your PR. And and I think after three months of doing that, you're going to feel a lot stronger than you would after just running, you know, 75 miles a week for two weeks. Um, because I think, you know, what's better than running 80 miles a week? Well, running 80 miles a week for a full month, that that's great. Or running 80 miles a week for two whole months, you know, that is just going to make you much, much stronger. So I I think more consistent mileage over time is, is a big one for you. Does that sound good to you? Or you're like, oh man, yeah, it does. (laughs) I just looked at my training log and I looked at I do track a lot of stuff. So I did, I looked at what my monthly PR was and it was back in 2018, um, which is when I set my half marathon PR and I, it was 273 miles per, per month, you know, and then the most I've ever ran, I'm like, a, I have it like monthly and quarterly. I was just over 700 for a three month stretch. Um, that was back in 2016. So yeah, I think looking at it like that and when I maybe, you know, putting in a little more miles and maybe not jumping from 60 to 70 to 80 toward the end, but um, looking at the whole month. Um, I think that's a good approach. Yeah. And that's kind of looking at, you know, that's looking at your PR and trying to take the endurance route to improvement. Um, and, and I think where we can improve is being more consistent with the overall mileage. Now, if we look at the other side of that coin, there's kind of like the strength, the power, the speed. I think there's some improvement there that we can have. Uh, the fact that 
you are just now or fairly recently started strides. I think strides are so fundamental. They're going to improve your running form gradually over time, of course. Um, and they're just going to make you much more comfortable at much faster speeds. And it's just one of those things where, you know, after a couple consistent months, your workouts are going to start to feel good. And it has this nice spillover effect into uh, your training. The other thing that I might have you do in, in your marathon buildup the next time that you're training for one is maybe include a workout. And it doesn't even have to be every week. It could be every other week where you're doing some repetitions, maybe on the track that are substantially faster than, um, you know, 5k race pace. So I think a lot of the 800s that you were doing in a similar workout to Yasso 800s, you know, that I think is, is probably close to your 5k pace. What I would love to see you do is maybe do like 200 meter repetition. So very short, not something you would really think of a marathon or doing, but you know, the goal of this workout is not aerobic power, aerobic strength. It's not endurance. It's simply to get you comfortable running really fast, but you're going to get a full recovery. So something like 200s at mile race pace, or maybe even a little bit faster with a full 90 second or two minute recovery. I think every other week, maybe during your peak training, you're doing it once a week. You know, you don't have to go too crazy with these. Uh, you also don't have to do too many of them, four to six repetitions. You know, it's almost like a a very easy second workout of the week where, you know, I am only doing four or six 200s, but they're fairly quick. You get a full recovery. Uh, that's going to, again, make those tempo runs feel a lot smoother. Uh, and it's really going to help with your running form and some power there. So I, I think there's some opportunity with the speed oriented things, but note how this doesn't mean let's go and just run brutally hard workouts. You know, we don't necessarily want to do that, especially if you're running 70, 80 miles a week, you're going to break and we don't want that. I'd rather you be slightly undertrained, but on the starting line, than in the best shape of your life, but you can't run the race because your Achilles, you know, blew up a week ago. So the, uh, the consistent speed work, but done in a way that isn't very challenging, I think is going to be helpful for you. The other thing that you're starting to do now, which you hadn't done in the past that I think is going to be clutch is lifting weights. And, and you're just starting our high performance lifting program. Um, so I think you're in week six or so. So you're in the second phase. Things start to get a little bit interesting in the second phase. Yeah, I went, actually, I went through the first, I went through the whole 16 weeks actually um, on the lifting side. Um, I was just kind of doing base running while I was doing that. So I started it probably in October. And now I, once I finished that 16 weeks, so I've seen the whole program now and um, it's pretty energizing. Like, you know, I was lifting nothing the first few weeks and, um, you know, what I was doing toward the end, um, you know, I was, I was feeling pretty good. So, but I still haven't really tested myself. And then I decided once I finished that and kind of, so I hadn't weight trained ever. So I wanted to go through the program and then, you know, pile on, you know, hard running on top of that. Um, so it's just easy running and the lifting. And now I'm, I've started the program over again. Um, so yes, I'm on like week six, um, the second time for lifting, but now I'm incorporating some harder runs. So I think that's, that was a good buildup for me and I feel stronger. Um, again, I haven't really tested myself, um, with my newfound strength, um, <laughs> but I think that will, that will be coming soon in the program. So 
Well, yeah, you have that half marathon coming up. So, you know, you can really put to the test, I think, how you feel when you're running half marathon pace, um, because the lifting will certainly help with that. And then I think one of the other big benefits of doing this kind of weightlifting, it's it's not only, you know, you're going to improve how you feel when you're out there. You're going to feel more economical because you are, you know, you've improved your running economy. Um, But it also just really helps you with your finishing kick. Um, so at the end of that half marathon, you know, remember all of the lifting that you've done, all the power work, all those explosive lifts, you know, while the endurance, I think allows for a fast finishing kick, you can't have a fast finishing kick if you don't have the necessary power and ability to recruit all those muscle fibers and really put them to use when you're trying to run really, really hard at the end of any race, really, but you're so fatigued. You need both. You need the endurance then to unlock the speed. If you don't have one or the other, you're probably not going to have a good kick. And so I I think now we're really going to be working on that. And, you know, it's almost impossible to have a kick in a marathon, no matter who you are, you know, maybe the top pro runners out there can kick. But for us mere mortals, you know, even if you just simply maintain your pace, that is a huge win. Um, you know, I've never run a marathon where I've maintained my pace at the end. You know, the key is just slow down enough or or not so much that you still reach your goal. Uh, and I think the lifting is going to be a big part of that. Now, the other part that I wanted to talk about that I was excited about was uh, your long runs. You got your long runs up to a pretty good distance, 24 miles before some of your past races. And you said you were doing some type of goal marathon pace running within those runs. Was that typically just a, you know, final three, four five miles at goal pace? Yeah. So I probably would do what that was one of my like key workouts. I would do 24 miles and then like mile 19, 20, 21, so four miles toward the end. Um, So I would probably do it about an eight minute pace and, and then I would jump right into that 650 pace for for the last five miles, and then I have a mile cool down at the end. But um, and I would try to hold it. It was always hard, um, you know, because I was already on my feet for two plus hours when I would when I would do it. But you know, I would be able to to keep that going right around that 650 pace, and that always gave me some good confidence. Um, but it was hard, you know. So it was always like, okay. I, did, I just ran 654 miles, but I do this for 26 now. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's what I would do about four miles right at the end of my 24. How long would a 24 mile run take you? I think it was right around three hours. Um, I have to do the math, um, maybe a little bit over three hours actually. So the time on my feet, I was about where my race was, but, um, but like I said, the first 18 miles or so, I'm just going at a, about an eight minute pace. Um, then drop into the 650 and then a, then a cool down mile. So I think that usually took just over three hours. Okay. Yeah. I think for your next upcoming marathon, uh, I don't think we should really change too much with regard to your long runs. I am a little hesitant to 24 mile long runs. Uh, typically runners shouldn't run beyond a certain point for a long run, just because the drawbacks greatly outweigh the risks. Now, you don't have a substantial injury history. You know, you've had some muscle strains. Those are probably the easiest type of injury that runners can get that we can deal with. You know, the one thing where I think we could potentially improve here is doing a longer 
uh, period of time at goal marathon pace, but maybe doing it a little bit earlier in the run. So maybe you do 22 miles instead of 24. And instead of four miles or five, you're doing six to 10. And you have, don't have to do it so late in the long run. You can do it earlier. So something like, you know, you warm up eight miles and then you could run 10 miles at goal marathon pace and you could cool down two miles. And that's a great 20 mile long run. It's a lot more specific to the marathon, I think, because the pace is much more in line with what you're going to run on race day. Uh, and then the, the couple miles at the end, you know, whether you max out at 22 or 21 or 23, I just don't want you to get to the point where you get so tired at the end of a run that your form starts falling apart and then you get hurt because that's very common, the the process of an injury, right? You know, you, you work to a point where you're so fatigued that your form suffers. And then because you're, you know, running with these inefficient movement patterns, you get hurt. So if, if you're really, if those 24 mile long runs give you confidence, if you haven't really had any problems with them in the past, then let's keep doing them because they, they seem to be something that you do regularly and it's not something that you enjoy. But what I would say is maybe let's lengthen that goal marathon pace portion of the run. If you go from four miles to eight miles, you might have to cut the long run a little bit just because you're so tired, but I think it's worth it. I think the extra quality is worth sacrificing a tiny bit of volume uh, at the very end. Okay. No, I think that's good. I, I, I did do like pace miles during the week. So like my long runs were more slower runs, but um, you know what I was saying earlier, like, like Tuesdays might've been my like um, hills and tempo earlier in the program. But then later I would start doing uh, goal pace miles. So, you know, five and six and eight and 10. So I'd be doing some goal pace mile work during the week. Plus only really at the end on my long runs. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, if I don't have to run 24 and get the same benefit, um, I'm off for that. So yeah, let's work smart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's great. And, and I think you transitioning to, a fair amount of goal pace running even during the week is a smart move too. Uh, because, you know, marathon pace isn't so challenging that it's going to leave you incredibly sore or something like that. Track repetitions, hill work, maybe even a tempo run, that will leave you sore, especially if, you know, you're kind of just in that building process. But some goal pace running can be added as a second workout fairly easily. Uh, I know when I was training for marathons, one of my go-to midweek runs was a 13-mile run with five miles on the track at goal marathon pace. And I just loved that that run for me. It was just very therapeutic for some reason. Uh, and then you couple that with a more challenging long run on the weekend. And you know, you're running a long way, a lot of time at goal marathon pace. And it's really good for not just your body, but your brain. You know, you mentioned, you know, that 650 pace is kind of like ingrained in your brain. And that's exactly what we want. And the more time you spend at goal pace in a variety of situations, the better. And that's why I think it's good to run goal pace when you're fresh, but then also run it at the end of a long run when you're really fatigued. And then maybe run it in the middle of a long run, you know, just to get a little bit of variety in there to expose yourself to goal pace at different levels of fatigue, because you're certainly going to experience it at all kinds of levels of fatigue on race day. 
So, you know, for the most part, your long runs are what I would say perfect. They're long, they're consistent, you're doing some quality in there. That's great. Um, But we can maybe tweak it just a little bit to make them slightly more effective. Uh, And then, you know, looking at the other things in your training and your race history that we might be able to improve, you know, we talked about uh, a little bit more speed work, fast, but not necessarily hard, adding some lifting, tweaking the kind of composition of your long runs to be a little bit more strategic, more consistent mileage. And then I got my last tip here is to work on your other race personal bests. Uh, And when you mentioned that you hadn't trained formally or, you know, really hard for some of the other race distances, I think that's encouraging. I think, you know, you might somewhat easily be able to set some, some at least recent PRs in some of those distances. And I'd also encourage you to go after some weird and wacky distances. You know, it doesn't have to be the 5k and the 10k and the half you could run a 10 mile, you know, race, you could run an 8k, almost any distance that's shorter than a half marathon, uh, is, is going to give you the same kind of skill set that you're looking for. So I, I think those are some good options for you for improvement. Uh, but you're certainly someone who's doing almost everything, right? I mean, you're training a lot. You're really taking your marathon prep seriously and very few runners are running, you know, 10, 11, 12 miles a day, like you are to get ready. So kudos on you, Brian, you're doing an awesome job, but, uh, I do think you have at least one more sub three in you. Great. Well, it's funny when you were saying, um, you know, focus on those other race distances. When I look back to when my marathon PR was, it was in 2013. And that was actually the same year I had my 5K, 10K PRs. Um, and my half marathon PR I beat in 2018, but the previous one was done in 2013 too. So 2013 was not only my best marathon year, but it was my best at all those other distances. So I, I really think focusing on those other distances um, is, is a great idea. And getting some more, you know, just doing 100 repeats, is great, but I think getting some faster 200s, 300s, um, 400s, I think that's really good. And I think the weightlifting, and those are the, the things that I was kind of looking for, like two or three things I can kind of tweak, because I felt like my overall base plan was pretty good. Um, there was just a few things that, you know, I think I could have changed to just get over the get over the hump and get to that next level. And I think those things are, are kind of key. I'm definitely going to incorporate those in. So thank you. Well, that's great to hear. And and I hope too that you kind of look at your career, your running career in 2013 and you see PRs across the board, you know, speed begets speed. You get faster and you're only going to get faster in other race distances too. And then your half marathon PR that you then set in 2018, was that, you mentioned that was in a period where you were running the most you were, you were running? Yeah, it really was. I had, I had my best, you know, court, I guess, yeah, month. That was my peak month. So that was um, the fun. That was Boston with the um, 100 mile an hour headwinds and freezing rain. And you know, at the start line, you're like getting like bombarded with freezing ice pellets, and the gun goes off, and you're running through puddles, and you feel like you're running backwards. I was in really good shape for that race, and then I kind of played that out five weeks after. I ran the Colfax half marathon here in Denver, and that's when I set my marathon half marathon PR. Um, so I was really trained up for that Boston, but you know, conditions that day 
um, you know, it was frostbite conditions. It wasn't PR conditions. Um, so th- that's why I was so trained well for that half marathon was because of that, that Boston race that was just, I don't like to think about it. It was just a cold, cold day. So. Yeah. And I forget, was it, when was the year that Des Linden won the Boston marathon? Was it 2018? Yeah, that was the okay. year I was there, and like everyone else, kind of like, people were just dropping out, and you know, everyone had frostbite on their hands and their feet, and it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a tough, tough, tough day. But yeah, that was the year that Des Linden won. Well, yeah, let's not let's not think about that half marathon for you, Brian. That sounds like a traumatic uh, experience for you. But hey, at least maybe you, you got some mental toughness out of it, and and that led to your PR maybe five weeks later. So that's great to hear. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited for you. I think you have some tangible things to work on that you can start incorporating in your training that you can work on the next time that you race. Um, and, and I'm kind of glad to see that, you know, it's almost like my thesis has been validated here. You know, you, you ran a good marathon after running a, b- a bunch of other fast races and then you PR to the half after running a lot of mileage. So I think if we can, you know, keep that in mind and, you know, incorporate the lifting, get fast in those short races, be more consistent with your mileage, you're going to be, you're going to be a force to be reckoned with later this year. All right. I'm, I'm looking for, I'm pretty excited. Um, so yeah, I appreciate all the advice. I think um, a lot of it makes good sense. So now, the other thing we have to talk about is that you live here in Colorado, right? So any PR that you're hoping to set, you, you maybe you want to go down to sea level. It's just going to be much harder here. Yeah, most of my marathons have been at sea level. Um, and pretty much all my PRs have been at sea level. Um, the half marathon here, the, the Colfax course was one exception. But yeah, a lot of the ones I'll, I'll travel to sea level to do the races. So when I look for you know, my next marathon, it, it'd probably be somewhere, you know, I try to look for a course that is in that 50 to 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fast, flat course is probably what you want. Give yourself every opportunity to run as fast as you can and get that PR because, you know, if you're, you're doing the Pikes Peak Marathon, you don't have a chance. <laughs> yeah. And I don't want to, uh, I know there's a lot of, downhill marathons now like oh net downhill of you know 2,000 feet and I don't want to do anything I don't want to do that I don't want to um you know set a PR by by doing a full downhill marathon course so um, I definitely want to set up for one that's got hills up and down all over too so I'm definitely looking for one that's kind of fast and flat um I don't, I don't want to cheat by um you know the, the all downhill marathons <laughs> I have a theory that those downhill marathons are actually not as fast as people think, especially when you get into the marathon distance, because 10 miles of running downhill at marathon pace is just going to trash your legs. And the final 10K, those long, you know, downhill races at the marathon distance is just carnage. You have people just dropping like flies because their legs have incurred so much muscle damage. I think... The fastest course is one that has a slight net downhill, but does not have any real steep downhills because those can really be challenging, just like an uphill can, just in a slightly different way. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, Brian. Well, I'm super excited about the rest of your training this year and and where you're at. I'm glad we could kind of give you some some good ideas for improvement in the future. 
Thanks for being a member of the team and best of luck with your running in the next couple months. I want to hear how that half goes when you run it this summer, okay? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. And there we have it, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this behind-the-scenes look into this coaching call about marathon improvement. We talked about quite a few strategies for helping Brian get better at 26.2 miles, and I'm sure some of them were probably relevant for you as well. If you'd like to learn more about team strength running so you could potentially come on the podcast and have my advice on your running, you can sign up at strengthrunning.com join. Finally, do support our sponsor who made this episode possible, Exoskin. They're offering 20% off your order with code SR at checkout at exoskin.us. I'm fortunate to have discovered Exoskin a few months ago because they're making innovative apparel for hard-charging athletes. They use a patented knitting technology that keeps you warm in the winter and cool in the summer. And I actually made the mistake of thinking that their gear was only for the winter, but it's been used in Death Valley races, so the heat dissipation must be good. And it may also be so versatile because their patented knitting technology reduces the risk of chafing, blisters, and hot spots. Great stuff. I'm also loving that they have powerful anti-odor properties, so <laughs> my wife isn't complaining about my gear stinking up the house anymore. They use both copper and a synthetic treatment to reduce odor and friction and wick moisture as well. And the cool thing is it's molecularly bonded. I have to say that word very slowly, molecularly bonded. <laughs> so it doesn't come out in the wash. And my rep at Exoskin told me about a client who has worn the same pair of socks for three months without washing them. Just a few rinses with water every week and they still don't smell. Now, I'm not sure if my testing is gonna go to those lengths, but I will take his word for it. Check them out at exoskin.us and be sure to use the code SR to save 20% on your order. That's exoskin.us to see all of their shirts, tights, socks, compression sleeves, and more. Thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for subscribing. Run strong, everyone. Everyone.